Clarence uh, W. Hall uh, wrote the following. Uh, it was early in 1945 when, as a war correspondent on Okinawa, I first came upon Shimabuku, the strangest and most inspiring community I ever saw. Now, what was so strange and inspiring for them? They said that when they arrived at this town with the military vehicles, this town was sort of in the way of the progress of the forces. Two old men came and stopped them and greeted them. And uh, an interpreter said that these two old men bowed and welcomed them as fellow Christians. Now that's very strange, isn't it? They said they, they didn't get that because they were there as army people. Then they took the, the people into the town, very beautiful little town, and everybody greeted them with smiles and dignified bows. The old men continued and told them the story that they met a Christian about 30 years ago. And he paused for a moment in this town and stayed long enough to have two converts, these two old men. He left them a Bible in the Japanese, trans uh, Japanese translation of the Bible and then asked them to live accordingly. And he taught them one or two hymns as well. Through the years, this community started to live according to the Bible. They adopted the Ten Commandments as their legal code. The Sermon on the Mount as their guide to social conduct. In one of the schools there, the Bible was the only literature. It was read daily by all students. And major passages were memorized by them. Shimabuku, for years, had no prison, no brothel, no drunkenness, no divorce. And there was a high level of happiness. Then they attended a worship service. They said there was much reading of, of Scripture by one of these old men. And then the people repeated it in a sing-song afterwards. They recognized fairest Lord Jesus and all hail the power of Jesus' name, but it of course, sounded Japanese. And after many prayers, voiced by almost the whole congregation, people put problems in society on the table, and Kina, one of these men, turned to the Bible and looked for answers to these questions in the Bible. And when the service was over, this journalist said, we waited as the crowd moved out 
And my driver whispered, this is what comes out of only a Bible. And a couple of old guys who wanted to live like Jesus. 30 years on, two old guys and the Bible. It's a bit different in the book of Corinthians. Totally different. Paul begins his letter by telling the congregation what wonderful gifts they have received. The church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people. They, have, they are people who have been enriched in every way with all kinds of speech and knowledge, he says. They do not lack any spiritual gift as they eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus to be revealed. They had the Bible. They had the Spirit of God. But one by one problem Paul addresses in this letter. Sexual immorality. Court cases between Christians. Problems at communion when they didn't wait for the poor. Problems about spiritual gifts where some people felt superior and others inferior. And some people denying the resurrection of Christ. Throughout this whole book, he addresses one problem after the other. Isn't this tragic? That you have in a small Japanese town people who lived by the Bible and here you have a congregation in Corinth with all the gifts of the Spirit, with all wisdom that you can imagine. And their life was not in sync with it. This is the tragedy of most of us in our Christian life. That we know the truth. We know God's grace. We have the Bible in our homes. But the problems just multiply and multiply and multiply. In this chapter, he speaks about a specific problem in that community, in this church. And this is division. One person said, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos. People started forming parties around Christian leaders in the community. This is an echo of what we already have in the first chapter when he says, My brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. And they say, what I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Cephas, which is Peter. 
and another, I follow Christ. Apparently, Apollos was a very good preacher. Paul, we know, was a very clever man, full of wisdom. And somehow, the influence of Peter amongst Jewish Christians was also there. And there was another group saying, no, we, we just follow Christ, but there are hints of spiritual superiority. So what, what happens? Paul says, you know what? The division amongst you in this community is just a symptom. If you go to a doctor and you ask him just treat the symptoms but not the illness, then there's a problem. You see, Sasha just left. We, you know we have a, a, grand, a grandson in, in, the, in the house at the moment. Now, I told her almost from three months onwards that that child needs meat because we feed our children in South Africa meat almost from birth, you know. They need to get something substantial in there. She made it quite clear that meat will not come near his mouth. And she, always, she almost said that she'll get a camera to check if I'm alone <laughs> with him. But this is what Paul is saying. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not yet ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready, he says. Their division, their bad lifestyle, their lack of love for one another, their quarrels and misunderstanding about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Everything goes back to one specific problem in their lives. Spiritual immaturity. Constantly, we hear in the first few verses of what we've read, you may be good philosophers, you may be very wise in the eyes of the world. You may be very influential. Going back to First uh, Corinthians 1. But you are immature. You are babies, infants in your faith. He continues to say that you are worldly, worldly, worldly. You are just like human beings for when you say, I follow this, and I follow that, and I do this, you're just mere human beings. Human beings are human-centered. That's all that matters for them in a church or in a community. It's always just about people. For when one says, I follow Paul, and other says, I follow Apollos, he says, are you not mere human beings? Actually, what Paul is saying, you are people that I cannot address as spiritual people, because you are not guided by the Holy Spirit, he says. 
In chapter 2, verse 14, he says, The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. It's like talking to the wall when you speak to someone who doesn't know Christ. Someone who is immature. There's no response because the Spirit of God, when He is in us, somehow we look differently at life. The basis of their life, he says, their guide and their rule is their own corruptive nature. That is what it is about. Tom Wright says, they are actually resisting the Holy Spirit, not merely showing that there's no evidence. So, things spiritual infants would say is, I, I do it my way. I will do it my way. I'm in the center. I will do what the pressure of the community tells me to do. What is popular and what is acceptable according to the wisdom of the world, not the wisdom of God. So what's the solution to the problem? It's very obvious. It's very obvious. Instead of being driven by their human nature, by their immaturity, Paul wants them to become mature, to grow in their faith, to be really wise, to have the insight of the Holy Spirit. And therefore, he says, in chapter 3, verse 18 and 19, do not deceive yourself. If any of you think you are wise by the standards of this age, this world, you should become fools so that you must become wise. You should empty yourself so that you can become wise. For the wisdom of this world, what people tell you to do is foolishness in God's sight. Listen to what James says, more or less the same. He says, if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such so-called wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. James and Paul says, when the Spirit of God guides us, we become wise. 
And then we look differently at leaders, but also at ourselves. How should we see leaders then? How should we judge leaders? He asks, what after all is Apollos? And what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe. As the Lord has assigned to each his task. For we are fellow workers in God's service. If you look at leaders, you have to understand that they are just servants of Christ. They have a specific task for a specific period. And that's their job. He says, I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and that is to fulfill the task that God has given them. You may have been satisfied or dissatisfied with, with leaders in the past, with ministers and with elders. But Paul says, stop focusing on that. Begin to understand that they have a specific task for a specific time as God has assigned that task to them. And not you, but God will be the judge of their work. And therefore he says, their work will be shown for what it is because the day, the final day, will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. Leaders in churches, in congregations, they can do whatever they want to do, but eventually God will judge if it was right, if it was the task that they had to fulfill. That's not only applicable to Christian leaders in churches, it's also applicable to your leadership role as a Christian in your family, as a Christian where you work. What have you done? What are you doing at the moment? How are you building? With gold or with straw? On the foundation that you know is the foundation of everything. Jesus Christ. So what are these leaders doing? He says, we are co-workers in God's service. And you are God's field. God's building. And this idea of God's building goes on in this passage where he says that we are the temple of God, where the Spirit of God is working. And therefore, uh, Tom Wright writes, that's the question every church worker should ask. Is what I'm doing encouraging and enabling people to worship the true and living God in holiness 
and in truth. If not, I am perhaps being untrue to the foundation that has been laid. If you build a temple, the purpose of the temple is to worship, to bring honor to God. And if we work together as leaders in this congregation, and we're not bringing people to worship Him, we are failing the foundation. Everything we do, every organization in this church, every leader should have this one purpose, to build on the foundation of Jesus Christ. But we also look differently at ourselves. When we have human wisdom, when we think from a human perspective, we become followers of humans. But if we have the Spirit of God, the wisdom of the Spirit of God, if we are mature, we begin to understand what it is all about. In those days, people followed a rabbi, or they followed a wisdom leader, a philosopher, and so on. And listen what Paul is saying. All things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world of or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours. You're not followers. They are yours. The leaders are yours. They belong to you. And all together, you belong to Christ. You all belong to Christ. We are led by the, by the Spirit of God, have the wisdom of God. We realize that we're not on a different level when it comes to the leaders. We all together belong to Christ and all of us form the temple of God, the church of Jesus Christ. So therefore, he says, stop boasting about leaders. Stop saying, I like this or I like that or this man is my man. Stop doing that. Don't you know that you yourself are God's temple and that God's spirit live, lives among you? Do you see, he doesn't say that your body is a temple of God. That he says later in the letter. He says you are the temple of God. Each one sitting here, as, as Andrew said, all of us form the temple of God. But then comes the warning. If you destroy this temple, if you work towards the division of this temple, God will destroy you. For God's temple, God's church, is sacred. It's sacred. If you are human and immature, you will stand in the way of unity because you worship, you worship and follow the wrong person. 
Eventually, it is not only the leaders that will go through fire, their work, but also us. We will also be judged whether we have followed Christ in our dealings or not. So how do we receive this wisdom? Where does it come from? We need to look just at a few verses from the first part of Corinthians. When Paul speaks about his task in the congregation, he says, Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. He's a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles, but to those whom God has called, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. This Christ crucified is God's wisdom for his church, for you and me. It is because of him, because of God, he says that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God. Our righteousness, our holiness, our redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, he says, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. What is Paul saying? We are only liberated from division, from forming parties and cliques, when we come to the cross. Because at the cross, we recognize that we cannot boast, that no one can boast. At the, at the cross, we do not seek honor for ourselves or for other people. At the cross, we realize what is central in our lives, the crucified Christ. And everyone who believes in the crucified Christ also gives up on himself or herself. They are also crucified. They are people who understand that everything we do, we do for Christ. The real foundation of our salvation, but also of the church of Jesus Christ, is the crucified Lord. Back to the village that lived by the Bible. Clarence all recalls and listen carefully what he says. Time had dimmed the Shimabukan's memory of that missionary. They couldn't recall his name. They couldn't recall his name. It wasn't about him. It has never been about him. But they remember the words 
that he said when he left. Study this book well. It will give you strong faith. And when faith is strong, everything is strong. Study God's word well. And your life will be changed because in this word you meet the crucified Christ. And because you meet the crucified Christ, it doesn't matter who played a role in your life. It doesn't matter who the spiritual leader was. The only thing that matters is that you have come into contact with the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings. It is sad that all of us grew up with the Bible. I would say 99% of the people in Northern Ireland. I'm sure all of you had a Bible and went to church from a young age. That's why you're still here. But it is sad that churches are full of issues, full of pain, full of oversensitivity, full of following leaders, full of criticizing leaders, full of divisions. And the only reason, Paul says, it is the case. It's not because we have the Bible. It's not because we don't have the Bible. It's because the Spirit of God has not taken hold of our lives and transformed us so that we follow the crucified Christ, so that we give up ourselves in service of him. The Japanese theologian Kokichi Kurosaki, who wrote a book on the body of Christ, he said the following, and I want to close with this. One might think that with the Bible as the center of Christianity, the unity of Christians could be easily realized. Unfortunately, this has not proved true. The letter of the Bible cannot really replace the living Christ as a center of our faith. The Bible cannot really replace the living Christ as the center of our faith. He says, therefore, the Bible may have authority, but without the fellowship with the Spirit of God, it doesn't mean much. Because it is only for those who understand the Spirit of God 
that unity becomes extremely important. Let's bow our heads together. Father, we recognize this morning that in the different aspects of our lives we know your word, that we've read it and sometimes we've left it behind. We want to confess that even though your spirit spoke to us so many times in our lives in different circumstances that we got up and walked out and have not listened to what your spirit says. Forgive us, Lord, Help us once again to connect, to connect with you and to grow in spiritual maturity so that we will never stand in the way of people taking hands together in worship together to love you more. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.